Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department Podcast. I am your host, Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, I talk to the president of the Delaware College of Art and Design, Jean Dahlgren. When Jean asked her teacher what she should do after graduation, he took a long drag from his cigarette and responded, I have no idea. Among other topics, Jean explains why that experience sparked her lifelong interest in art education. We talk about the role of a president, why art school tuitions are a real problem, and how DCAD is, quote, a best kept secret. Jean and I also praise the birthplace of the golden age of illustration, Wilmington, Delaware. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Jean. Thank you so much for carving out the time to talk to me today. I know you uh, you probably have like three full-time jobs as president of DCAD. <laughs> Actually, four, but that's okay. I like to start off by simply asking, where are you from? Where I am from is a very small town in the Adirondack Mountains of New York. Uh, so I grew up in a town called Mineville, New York, um, which is uh, smaller than, um, than almost anything you can imagine. Uh, in fact, Governor Mario Cuomo called, uh, called the area uh, like Appalachia. So, um, you know, very poor uh, mining town. But it was beautiful. We were surrounded by mountains and uh, in the middle of the Adirondack Park, which is six million acres of preserved land. Mm -hmm. So I really grew up having an appreciation of nature and of the outdoors. And it was it was great. Mm -hmm. And then uh, later on, I moved to Albany, New York, and that's where I spent most of my adult life. How does uh, someone from a mining town in the Adirondacks uh, find their way into the art world? Like, what were your first experiences? Uh, did you know going into college that art was going to be something that you wanted to pursue? I did, and this actually connects later on to DCAD very well. So it'll, it'll be, I hope, an interesting story. But uh, my mom was an artist. She actually went to Syracuse University for art. When she was younger, she had polio, and uh, so one side of her body was paralyzed, and her father gave her um, art supplies to, you know, entertain her um, while she was sitting in a chair for long periods of time. So she learned to draw, and she had very good teachers in high school and went to Syracuse on a full scholarship, and she really did foster my interest in art and um, at a very early age. And I think I was one of those people that came out of the womb kind of ready for any drawing materials I could get my hands on. Mm -hmm. And then I, I later gave birth to an artist and saw that from the other side, you know, as a, a young child, just, you can, you can really tell when there's um, this kind of innate interest in art. And I had that and I never wanted to do anything else, but go to school for art, and eventually I did. And I went to SUNY Oswego, which is on the um, shores of Lake Ontario in western New York. Mm -hmm. And it was great. I had great teachers and a really great experience. What did you study? So I studied printmaking, um, 
and I really had no experience in printmaking, but the I, as do most first-year art students, you know, I had a wide variety of instructors, and I really took to the two printmaking instructors. They were my favorites, so they kind of, you know, brought me into the printmaking light, and I, and I majored in that. While you were studying printmaking, did you think about how you that would translate into uh, some kind of a career? This is a this is where the story gets funny. So um, actually, when I was interviewing for my job here at DCAD as president, I did a very visual presentation, seemed appropriate, and I put up a slide of a you know someone smoking a cigarette, and I told the story <laughs> of meeting with one of my drawing professors in my senior year, and I, I, back then, professors could smoke in the classroom. (laughs) So I went up to him and I said, no, I'm getting ready to graduate. What what am I going to do after graduation? And this professor took a long drag on his cigarette, slowly let the smoke out, and he said, I have no idea. (laughs) And that answer was perfectly okay for him. Oh and gosh. I was so outraged, you know. And I, and I, actually, it is that outrage that fueled my interest in art education, strangely, later. Because I said, I'll be damned if that is ever an acceptable answer mm-hmm. for a tenured professor to give a student. Really? Uh, I, was to, uh, I was talking to another <laughs> uh, podcast guest and he said that he had a teacher who uh, just straight up to the 20 or so students in the classroom said about two to 5% of you will be illustrators. Everyone else won't. I I am not surprised. In fact, there's actually, um, I don't know if I can name names of companies on the podcast. So correct me or edit if you need to, but there's a, well, I'll I'll say it this way. There is a, a commercial running on network television uh, by an insurance company. And, and in the insurance commercial, um, there's a couple shown at a restaurant and they are talking to the waitress and, and they apparently have some relationship with her. And they said, well, what are you doing now? And she said, well, I'm going to school to study art. And they lean over to her and say, well, what are you going to do for money? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just so tired of the starving artist conversation. So any chance I get, including today, I will try to uh, quell the the myth of that. Mm -hmm. It's it's just not true. I mean, I have always had a job. I know many artists that have jobs. I know artists that carve together jobs Mm -hmm. and they're fine with that. And Mm -hmm. I think that's okay. Yeah. Um, but when you're an artist or a designer, you have to do that. I mean, it really is when I said innate before, I really do think it's part of your DNA that you can't not make things, you know, it's, it, 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 it doesn't feel good. You get anxious and, and, you know, it's, it's like going through some sort of withdrawal, I think, to go long periods of time without making. So, feeding that in whatever way you have to do to pay the rent and make is what artists have done for millennium. So, yep. Yeah. There's, um, there's this, uh, illustrator, uh, uh, Linda, uh, Kitson and she's, she's a reportage illustrator artist. Um, she was sent by the UK to the, the Falkland islands during the Falkland war in the early eighties. 
and uh, so, and she was there as a war artist correspondent, and uh, she was the first actual actually female to uh, accompany the troops uh, to a battlefield. Later in life, she was talking about drawing and you know being an artist, and she attributed it to breathing. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, it's it is it's it's like it's like saying if you're an artist and it is part of your DNA. And you're not doing the thing that you are, you are, you're not being who you are. Yeah. There's the anxiety levels spike and you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a misalignment of self, I think. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny. My daughter has a tattoo that says drawing is breathing. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, it is, it really is uh, such an intrinsic part of, who you are and what you do every day. Mm-hmm. And that's what I tell, you know, uh, potential students. I talk about how this is a passion degree. And I said, if you never want to work a day in your life, the old adage about, you know, loving what you do, I said, then, then you can find, you can find a way. And actually, don't you think there are so many more opportunities for artists now than there ever have been before? Yeah, I do. I mean, there's, there's whole, you know, platforms and um, ways of being an entrepreneur that were never available before. Mm-hmm. You know, it's as easy as having an Instagram account to be an, a, a good illustrator getting work from all over the place. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, I, I think, think, the, I think is amazing. Yeah. And I think that sort of the old, per, the perception is that continues to stick is that starving artist where you're in a beat up rat infested studio <laughs> painting, um, with materials that you scrounge together in the, you know, from the dumpster and, uh, you know, trying to sell it to rich patrons. And that's just simply not how it is, obviously. Yeah, it, it isn't how it is. Uh, you know, it, it would be so nice. <laughs> I would love that. I love that idea of that bohemian life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as I'm sitting in my uh, fancy office, right? I just think, you know, it's, it's um, there. There's something kind of romantic, I think, and tragic about that thought, and it certainly has been uh, perpetuated in you know in media and movies and so forth and so on. And we all kind of love that story, right? The tragic artist. Sure. Like uh, Gauguin is a good example like, of that. Gauguin is a great example, you know, and mm-hmm. and Van Gogh, and you know, we we can't get enough of that. But the, the reality is is that there's just a lot of people getting up and going to work and making great stuff yeah. that really does enrich our lives. Yeah. You know, whenever, I, whenever I have this conversation with civic leaders about you know the value of art, I say, okay, when people come to your city, do they go to the cubicles? I'm going to suggest they don't, right? They don't go to an accounting firm. They don't go to, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you go to the cultural landmarks in the cities when you bring people to visit right Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah i mean and you know if there's a town like wilmington we'll talk about wilmington in a second but there's a Mm -hmm. you know like wilmington and even smaller towns and i'm from maryland so i'm I'm, this is why i'm I'm citing these towns but like uh, easton maryland has a museum uh dover delaware has the bigs Mm -hmm. i mean there are these small cultural hubs that without those those museums in those towns those towns would i i would posit would be um would be what's the word i'm looking for i'm gonna say sadder yeah they be sad i think so you know not as enriched not as enriched thank you yes 
it will be spin it on the positive side. Yeah, there you go. Um, uh, what I agree. What was your first experience in art education? So my mother, who was an art educator um, for a short time, she graduated from Syracuse, worked in Rochester, New York as an art educator. And then later, you know, after uh, my sisters and my brother were raised, she was a stay-at-home mom, um, she went back and was a substitute art teacher. And so she told me, do not teach art. Just you can do anything else, but don't do that. So, of course, <laughs> what would one do? Mm -hmm. you know, exactly what your mother tells you not to do. But I actually had no plans to do that uh, at first. So when I graduated from SUNY Oswego, I worked as a technical illustrator in a in an engineering firm, putting down chart pack tapes um, on blueprints and so forth. It was very boring. And I thought, wow, this is this is what this looks like. Okay, um, you know, I was making a living, and I I I was happy about that. But I went back to see my mentor at Studio Swigo because I was toying with the idea of going to graduate school, and he suggested that I apply back at Oswego. And I said, oh, no, 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 I'm done with you people. I've learned everything I can possibly learn from you, and. He just laughed. And um, and then I got a, a graduate assistantship to go back. Mm -hmm. So I did a master's in painting. Uh, and I really hadn't done much painting as an undergrad, but I had this itch to do it. And I spent two years in that master's program painting. I did a, a master's in watercolor. Mm -hmm. Then I got out, and then I really didn't know what I was going to do. So it was a very circuitous path. Uh, another thing I talk about at DCAD, you know, just how how long it took me. And then I, I worked as a waitress for a little bit. I, I was a terrible waitress. I did that for a short time. Mm -hmm. And then I walked into a design firm in Lake Placid, New York, and I convinced the owner to give me a shot. And I, I, I got a job as just a production artist back when things were done you know, by hand, all the, what they used to call mechanicals were done by hand. And I learned graphic design on the job and I loved it. That was a perfect fit for me. I loved the problem solving. I loved typography. You know, I could draw, so I could illustrate. And so I was a good fit for him. He was a great teacher to me. And I did that for three years. And then I got a job as an art director at an agency in Albany, mm -hmm. right when the computer was hitting the desk. And our agency was the first one to get desktop publishing. And so my boss, you know, put the manual for Ventura Publisher on my desk and said, learn this. Here's a job that we have to do. And I did. And that's really how I got into art education, because I applied for a job at what was then the Junior College of Albany, and it was a two-year private uh, NASAT-accredited school, liberal arts though, and um, they were looking for someone to teach graphic design who had a master's and who had computer experience, and I fit the bill, <laughs> strangely, but I had no teaching experience at all. So they took a real chance with me, and I started as an instructor and 30 years later, I ended my career at SAGE as the dean of undergraduate programs. I laugh about it because I just didn't see that coming. I didn't see that as my trajectory at all, our education or specifically higher ed. The interesting thing about DCAT is, is um, 
while I was doing a little bit of research on DCAD is, is that it was, it's a relatively new school. It was founded in 96, I think. And, uh, it was basically a collaboration between the, the people of Wilmington, Pratt Institute and Corcoran. That's exactly right. I like to say that Pratt and the Corcoran had a baby and that was the Delaware College of Art and Design. And the surrogate mother was the Wilmington Renaissance Corporation. And literally, they had um, uh, someone told me this story not long ago that someone had gone to Savannah and seen how SCAD had transformed the city mm-hmm. and wanted to replicate that model here or some such. I mean, it was sort of a, a model anyway, a mm-hmm. working model. And so they put out an RFP and Pratt and the Corcoran bit and and formed this school and it was i mean we're going into our 22nd year so we really are you know just out of our teenage years (laughs) my wife sarah she's from dover delaware just 45 minutes south of you and Mm -hmm. um if if there's no traffic on route one right (laughs) if there is traffic it's an hour 15 but uh (laughs) but um you know i i've i've been in that family for uh, 20 plus years. And, you know, so I'm familiar with Wilmington. I was talking to my father-in-law about this, about talking to you. And, uh, we were talking about Wilmington and he was saying how about, about 25 years ago, there was no waterfront. I mean, there was Wilmington really wasn't what it is now. And I think that there's, there's a little bit of like hand in hand. I mean, about 25 years ago is when they really decided to spend a great deal of money renovating the waterfront there. And, there's DCAD. And there's DCAD. And I, I have to say, I, I, am, I am so impressed by the city of Wilmington and our, our leadership, Mayor Mike Brzezicki. He, a brilliant man, a brilliant leader, along with many, many people who have turned this city around. A lot of cities talk the talk, right? I, growing up in the Northeast, many industrial cities try, try, try so hard and it's so hard to get things done but wilmington has done it Mm -hmm. the waterfront is amazing and it's just a few blocks away from the college so the students can go down to the waterfront of course they can draw inspiration just from looking at it but there's a beautiful bike path that goes 10 miles down to newcastle um and it's vibrant there's uh, you know, a children's museum, a trampoline park, mm-hmm. you know, a- outdoor venues. It's fantastic. And Market Street, where the college is located, is sort of the, you know, the piece de resistance of the city. It's really uh, become very vibrant with, I, in fact, I was just at a board meeting this morning with uh, one of the downtown organizations, and they, just in the last three months, have opened up six new businesses and three new restaurants. That's so. Great. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. yeah, so lots for our students to do, and it's just a very uh, arts-friendly community. Um, and and Delaware itself has been just, uh, how did I not know about Delaware before now? It's a tremendous state. Um, people will help you here in any way, shape, or form you can imagine. And it's a big state of collaboration where the arts and cultural organizations really collaborate to see how we can work together to make things better. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should also mention the Delaware Art Museum. Oh, my goodness. Yes, please. Uh, We don't have enough time. (laughs) The Delaware Art Museum is such a treasure. 
Um, And really, I mean, you know, since this is an illustration podcast, I would be remiss in not mentioning the fact that the, you know, the golden age of illustrations started in Wilmington, Delaware. What a great place to study illustration. Are you kidding me? Right. And the Delaware Art Museum has one of the best collections of illustration I have ever seen. Mm. It is it is like a candy shop if you're an illustrator. Yeah. I mean, um, the, Del- the museum was founded by Frank Schoonover exactly. and Gail Porter, who exactly. were students of Howard Pyle. Yes. And yes. the Brandywine School. And if you think about the Brandywine School, which, by the way, the Brandywine Museum is not too far from where you are. Another treasure. I mean, it's it's 20 minutes. It's amazing. Right. But Howard Pyle started, I mean, it was basically like Howard Pyle taught at Drex- Drexel. And, uh, and then he, he was kind of like, I, I don't really like the way this is for the art education here is, is, is going. I want to do my own thing. So he did yeah, his own yeah, thing. Yeah. And people, yes. when people think about Howard Pyle and see Wyeth, they, they think about Chats Ford and that's right. They should. And Brandywine region, they should, but also it's, and Wilmington should be part of that conversation because he, it's Howard Pyle right. moved to Wilmington Yes, and that's where Schoonover and, and others sort of launched their careers, had their careers there. Exactly. And founded the Delaware Art Museum. And founded the Delaware Art Museum, which is, um, and if you haven't been in a while, you really should go. It is such a treasure. In fact, uh, a friend of mine from grad school, I, I, I went back and did a second master's at Marywood University in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And um, I did what's called the uh, Get Your Master's with the Master's Program. And one of my friends from that program recently came to visit and uh, and I took her up to the museum and we were just I mean we uh, it's just it's just tremendous and one of the largest uh, collections of pre-Raphaelite art in the US mm-hmm. is at the Delaware Art Museum so yeah while we're talking about the Brandywine school mm-hmm. we should mention that I mean this is by the way uh, between 1895 and you know 1910 around that you know I think Pyle passed in 1911 and then his students took over from there um, but Elizabeth Shippen Green yes. Jesse Wilcox Smith Violet Red Oakley mm-hmm. I mean a number a number mm-hmm. of female illustrators were welcomed and and supported and this is at the turn of the century when you know that sort of thing wasn't um, wasn't as prevalent as it is now. No, that's. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's one of my favorite things about Pyle and the Brandywine School. And um, certainly, I, I used to teach history of graphic design and and uh, and and studied history of illustration as well. And it, it's it's a really it's a fantastic story. There should be a documentary on Howard Pyle, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm such an interesting guy and a master teacher. Um, there should be documentaries on. On right? illustration on every illustrator. Yes, I would watch yes. that. I know. I know. So it's really, I mean, we are so lucky. We have um, our illustration program at DCAD is actually our second largest major this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a tremendous place to learn illustration. DCAD is an interesting school. We were talking about how it's a two-year school. So you mm-hmm. get your associates in fine arts. Associate get... in fine arts, yes. And then students can then transfer to wherever they like to transfer to. Exactly. And they transfer to all of the top art schools uh, because we had the relationship with Pratt, you know, by surrogate parent, if you will. For a long time, our students went primarily to Pratt, but we became independent in 2002. um, And our creditors 
really encouraged us to do that. So, you know, once we became an independent institution, it really kind of opened us up to opportunities with other schools. And right now we have articulation agreements with a number of schools, which simply means that, you know, we really have um, mapped the curriculum out so that the students can transfer as juniors, but they do most other places as well. Mm -hmm. And I would say about, um, you know, probably 65 to 75% of our students transfer every year right from our programs at DCAD. But there are, we're, we're getting an increasing amount of students who are interested in career change mm-hmm. or are what we call reverse transfers. So they are transferring into our program after a year someplace else. Right. They might not be happy or they've decided, you know, being, um, we had one student last year who had a four-year degree in mathematics, um, which was great, except she had no interest in pursuing that after she got done. So she came back and did a two-year degree in graphic design at DCAD, and she went to work at her job the day after graduation. (laughs) So she's working in Wilmington as a graphic designer, and that's great. Yeah. Um, I do want to do, uh, I do want to pause and uh, side note, and and we're talking about female illustrators, Drexel, Wilmington, Howard Mm -hmm. Pyle. Not very many people know that Howard Pyle um, had a sister who was also an artist, Catherine Pyle. And her work is is as good as any of the rest. Yes, and it's funny you mentioned that because uh, even at the Brandywine Museum, there is now a room devoted to the sisters of Andrew Wyeth, <laughs> you know, who were equally good painters. There you or go. At least, at least the argument could be made, right. perhaps. Exactly. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah. I, I, it's it's good to see that women illustrators and artists are getting their due mm-hmm. after all these many years. So we could, I mean, there's a, I, there are so many different things I want to talk about, but in the interest of time, I want to focus on, I want to sort of turn our attention to being a president of an art school. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is our maybe second or possibly third uh, rescheduling um, because you are an incredibly busy person. But what is it like, you know, take us through maybe a, I know not every, not every day is the same, but take us through a day. I mean, what are what are the responsibilities of being a president of an art school? Well, it's it's like a CEO, right? So you're you're you know ultimately responsible for everything, and then you report to the board. So I am the person that reports to our uh, board of trustees. And that said, you know that kind of unique position. It's it's nothing. I'll tell you this. It's nothing that I. I think I don't know that you can ever feel fully prepared to do that. Um, I didn't even feel I was prepared to be a dean, but I was. I've been very fortunate in my life to work with great people and have great mentors. And at my last position, the provost of the college at the time really encouraged me to look at higher ed administration because she saw in me what I didn't see in myself, which was the ability to calmly approach problems. So I, 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 I I try never to get undone. I just try to be level headed to look at the problem. And to be honest with you, being an artist and designer (laughs) is a unique preparation for being president of a college because I'm used to approaching problems I haven't had before. Mm -hmm. So if we use the analogy of the blank canvas, right? Um, in what field do you really ever have anything blank? 
almost uniquely only in the creative fields, right? A writer faces a blank page and has to invent a whole story. And as artists and designers, we have to in- invent what appears on that canvas. Uh, so we, we're very used to the idea of, of taking something we haven't seen before and working through the steps. And, and oddly, <laughs> strangely, um, you know, when most of my day is looking at emails and papers and, you know, talking to lawyers and things I never thought I'd be doing, and a lobbyist, uh, things I never thought I would do, mm-hmm. I have been able to do that when I go back to the root of, of being an artist. Okay, what's the first step? How do I work through this? And, and you do. Uh-huh. And you can. And it's, it's also... Um, I have I have a great team here. I mean, that is the reason I came. I, I left it, you know, 30 years. I'd been at the same college 30 years, tenured professor, dean. I just bought a house I loved, you know. I, I left everything. And I'd never lived outside of New York State. I left everything to come to this school because it's just a great place and it's a unique opportunity. And it needed love, and I, and I love it. <laughs> so... I think with 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 passion and with uh, support, and I have that from my board. I have that from my staff. You can do anything, mm-hmm. and and frankly, I do it for the students. I know the students here. I mean, who knows the college president? You know, nobody. But here, you do. Yep. And I think that's really cool. I can walk into a classroom. I can still talk to the students about their work. They know I'm one of their people. You know, I get what they do, and that's pretty pretty unique. Yeah, I I went to RISD, and um, I never met the president. Yeah, it, you, you don't. You you shake their hand at graduation. Yeah, that's, there you go. It, it's their role, but here it's um it's a you know I'm, I I can't say it's hands on, but you know I I go up in the elevator, I ask students how they're doing, what are mm-hmm. they doing, I know them by name. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we like to say we know your name, we know your work here because we do. Yeah. And that's that's cool. How do I phrase this kind of delicately? Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm assuming you're aware of the ongoing discussion, I'll say nicely, between brick and mortar art schools and online art education. And mm-hmm. I say this by being someone who founded an online program. <laughs> we should be theoretically at odds and we should be, I don't know, yelling at each other or something, I don't <laughs> but we're not. We're not. I will say, I will preface this by just saying, you know, I, I went to traditional art schools for undergrad and graduate and loved every minute of it and encourage folks who especially want to get like nine to five jobs who have to have degrees to go to a traditional art school and get a degree mm-hmm. or go to a school and get a degree period. I do, though, as a father of three, uh, I, I'm, I bristle a little bit at some of the some of the tuition costs. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. spending a quarter of a million dollars on an art education is a hefty price, especially yeah. when you graduate and you have a teacher saying to you, I have no idea what you're going to do. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So so where are we? So where are we? It's, it, it, that is uh, the million-dollar question, and I, I have I have strong feelings about it. To be honest with you, this isn't a commercial, but certainly you know we we don't cost as much as some of the larger, 
better known are colleges. And that's actually, it's by design, but it's also um, intentional in terms of, you know, what, where, where does one price oneself and where does one price oneself out of the market? You know, and I feel when I get up each day and I come to work, that is almost always the first thing on my mind is the responsibility for the consumer's education, right? So if I'm delivering a return on investment, I can feel good about myself. If, if I can really talk and and I'm talking, this is authentic talk about what students can do with a degree and that it's an investment. And I feel that's true. Then I can live with myself. Mm-hmm. But I made a promise to myself when I took this job that I would never, ever um, not keep that front of mind. And And we have students who are first generation students. We have a lot of first generation students. We have students who can't meet the gap of as much as a thousand dollars like that that is just an impossible hurdle for them Mm -hmm. and it 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 causes me great pain uh, because we could be more broadly serving people and so there should be i think it's the right thing to have outlets alternative outlets for students who can't meet those gaps but You know, what I'm trying to do as a college president is deliver on the promise of return on investment so that our education and the curriculum is doing the job it needs to do to get you where you need to be. And that's the best I can do. Mm -hmm. But, you know, have we priced ourselves out of the market? In large part, I think we have. I mean, it is an impossible nut to crack when you're getting right out of school. My, I have two daughters and they're just graduated. Um, and you know, they both had college loans and it was an incredible way to start your, your working career. I've, I've talked about this, uh, in several other podcasts about how illustration students will saddle themselves with a, a five digit and six digit debt. And then, Week one after they graduate, what they have is a website, a portfolio, maybe a mailing list. You would be, Mm -hmm. I am continually shocked about how many, over how many illustrators who went to our school don't have mailing lists for clients. Mm -hmm. They don't have an Mm -hmm. idea of who to send their portfolios to. They, They work for four years to put a portfolio together and no one, no teacher or no one has said, let's put together a mailing list so you know who to send your work to. That's it's mind boggling to me. But anyways, but, you know, so anyways, you graduate and that summer you're you're sitting there going like I'm a freelance illustrator or designer or something. I have a hundred fifty two hundred thousand dollar student loan I have to pay back. Now what? Yeah. Now what? And that's horrifying. And and that's uh, that's you know, that is basically the foundation of the criticism. I get it. I yeah. I absolutely get it. I talk to families about this all the time. Um, as I said, you know, we we have intentionally tried to make ourselves affordable. I can only do what I can do at my school, um, and and I can tell you how I feel about it, which is responsible. Mm-hmm. You know, I I want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. But it doesn't mean that we're. I mean, we're not as inexpensive as a community college, but we don't offer the same thing. The the one thing that I will say that I find troubling 
is um, the, the, the continued value of the name, the name, right? And we've seen this play out with a college admissions scandal, right? The, the amount of money families paid to get their child into a school with a perceived name. And what, do, what will that name then get them? You know, the privilege, the advantage, the this, the that. But in reality, I don't see things playing out that way. I'm a college president. I went to a state university. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have to tell you, I had a great education, a really great education. And I'm very proud of it. And I'll defend it until the cows come home. I don't have a, I don't have a BFA. I have a BA, a liberal arts degree. It has served me extremely well. Yeah. And I didn't pay a fortune for it. I paid a reasonable amount. It was a long time ago. Um, but, you know, I think I think we we really have to address this mm-hmm. as as college administrators. We have to talk about this. And and I think the nation has to talk about it because um, the, the student debt crisis will will blow up at some point in time. It's been long predicted. We could obviously talk about this for a great for number, a long time. Yeah, <laughs> yes. great number of minutes. But um, I, I, I have a question I want to get in here before you know we run out of time, and that is, um, have you ever thought, I mean, you're a two-year program, have you given any thought to making it a straight-up four-year program? We did, actually. We uh, So I started a year ago, August, uh, at DCAD, and the board charged me in the fall of 2018 with creating a new strategic plan. The one that was in in place was coming to an end. And so that's the kind of thing a new president would do. So great. We got right to work on that. And then, you know, in my first year, we completed that. So the uh, second six months of my first year, we did a new strategic plan and we looked at everything. And that was certainly on the table. Mm-hmm. And that might have been one of the reasons I was hired because uh, at SAGE, uh, it went from the junior college of Albany to the SAGE colleges. So I took a two-year program and made it a four-year program with help from other faculty, of course. But um, So I was familiar with how to do that. And we, we did talk about that. But in Wilmington, we're surrounded by so many really great art schools I just didn't think, and, and act in, in conclusion, the steering committee also did not think it was the right time um, to enter into that. And it really would take a tremendous influx of uh, capital to do that. So we opted not. And to be honest with you, I think what we do so very well are those two years. And I think there's a better way to do that. And what we're also concentrating on now is really our continuing ed program and, and revamping that, making that more vital. And I think that will be plenty enough for us to concentrate on in the next, next few years. What considerations do you, does, do you and your team give to, you know, expanding the options in terms of like course offerings for your students? What does that well, look this, like? Yeah, this is where I think is sometimes the smaller schools have a better advantage in terms of, um, taking turns when turns need to be made in terms of curriculum. So for example, in illustration here, I would say for the most part, we had a fairly traditional based program. It it was not a lot of digital. Mm -hmm. And within a year, we've actually revamped that program to be more inclusive of digital 
methodologies, which in my opinion, you have to be in as a 21st century illustrator, you, you have to have at least some working knowledge of that, if not be completely proficient. And so we completely revamped our illustration studio to be, you know, there's kind of the messy side of the room, you know, <laughs> paint, gouache, flying, ink, splattering, whatever. And then uh, the clean side, this is the digital side with mm-hmm. Cintiq tablets and, and uh, Wacom tablets and so forth where, you know, you can, you can, you know, I was, um, I was actually standing in for the illustration faculty during our open house this past Saturday. And so I was describing how that works in practice. So, you know, back in the day, if you had to do an illustration in gouache and the art director called and said, change the hair color to green, you'd have to start over, right? You know, and you had maybe half an hour to do it. Uh, And now I could say, sure, no problem. Scan it in, go into Photoshop, make the hair green, da-da, you're done. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of uh, workflow and curriculum is what we have here. And it's also, I think, where you have to be responsive in terms of curriculum design in the Mm -hmm. 21st century. That leads me uh, perfectly to my next question. You'd said that um, illustrators or artists today face a number of challenges. Can you expand on that? In what way? Certainly, I, I think there are always challenges. And, and, you know, certainly as an artist and designer who lived through the onset of the digital age, you know, I, I experienced that. You know, I was working in industry, and I think I described earlier in the show where, you know, the my my boss puts the computer in my desk, hands me a manual, says, figure out how to do desktop publishing. And mm-hmm. by the way, we have something due on Monday. You know, like, really? Uh, but I did that. And I think that's what artists and designers still do mm-hmm. is you figure it out. And I think that's our secret sauce, really, is the ability to think creatively and apply that to your everyday work, no matter what it is. If you're working in the art and design field, then you're going to apply it to visual problems. But if you're not, if you're, you know, working at a, a hospital and you're a creative thinker, um, and I've had students who've done that. They've gone to art school. They ended up working as a nurse. Wouldn't you rather have a, a creative nurse <laughs> who can figure out a problem or actually think you know, outside of the box to be able to solve something. Sure. I would. I would too. Yeah. So I, I think that's those challenges. That, I mean, you know, who knows what it'll be tomorrow. I mean, there's always challenges, but I think the, the benefit of being a creative is that you, you have these great gifts that enable you to figure things out. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to tie this all up. Uh, and, End on a, sort of a hopeful, actionable note. Um, what last bit of advice would you like to leave for the listeners? Since your listeners are, I would presume, mostly illustrators or those in the creative field, I'd like to say, don't let the bad guys get you. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't let it get you down. You know, I mean, I like I said, I, I cobbed together different jobs for a while. It, it took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to do. And this being a college president, by the way, would not have been on that list at any point in time. But here I am. I'm loving it. And you just ha- kind of have to ride the wave and, you know, recognize along the way what people see in you. 
Um, and I, if, if you would indulge me, just one quick story. I want to tell you about a student I had. She was getting B's in my graphic design class, and she had never gotten B's before and was just upset about it. And I, she said, you know, I want to talk to you about my grades. I, I don't understand why I'm getting B's. And I said, well, you're getting B's because you're above average. <laughs> and she, I'm not excellent. And so, you know, she took offense a little bit. And I said, let me tell you, though, what you're really great at. And she was one of those students who was involved in everything. She was in every club. She was a uh, an admissions counselor, you know, just active, active, active. And I said, do you know what? There are jobs for people like you. And what they do is they connect the creatives. You know, you might work in a, you know, in a firm where you're talking to creatives, but you're not actually sitting at the computer doing the work. And this student's eyes lit up like I can't even describe. She didn't know that that was an option. She said, well, you know what? I hate sitting in front of the computer doing that work. (laughs) I said, I knew it. So she actually was the first one to get a job from her graduating class. And she worked for Mohawk Paper up in uh, Cohoes, New York. And she did just that. She worked with the creatives. She kind of brought people together. She had a great eye. Um, And, you know... That was just, again, because I I felt this responsibility to never give anybody the answer, I have no idea. That's not an answer. Mm -hmm. So there are ways to figure things out. Find a good mentor. Find somebody who's going to, you know, feed your soul, keep your spirits up, and just keep making work. Mm -hmm. 